Hello and welcome back to the Hero Ball Podcast. Today, I am joined by my friend Elkin Beltry. Elkin, um, the Heat have made some moves. Some I'm very excited about, some I'm a little timid on. Uh, talk me off the ledge, Elkin. Is everything okay? Um, With the Heat, I would say partially things are okay. Of course, you're happy to bring back uh, Dion Waiters. As we know, Dion Waiters is an inspiration to this podcast, hence uh, HeroBot Podcast. Yeah, if you don't believe in Dion, who do you believe in? I mean, if you're not on Waiters Island, what island are you on? That's the only island that you need to buy real estate for. But the one uh, signing, I know right now that Ethan's probably looking over the edge like, man, jumping off this ledge feels really good right now, is Kelly Olenek. Um, how does he fit to the Heat roster? Well, he's um, going to be a seven-foot Luke Babbitt with a little bit better um, passing ability, and he can probably attack a closeout a little bit better. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not confident about a whole lot with him. When he and uh, the other Kelly, Kelly Oubre, fought during the playoffs or had a little kerfuffle, as it were, I was on the Oubre side because I kind of like it. Oubre. I don't really like Kelly Olenek. Um, but with that being said, the Heat can be a little deprived of shooting when you have a, a wing player like Justice Winslow and even James Johnson for, for spurts in the game. Um, we, we can be a little deprived of shooting, and Kelly will definitely improve that part of our offense. Like you said, he's kind of that guy you can't understand how he gets his buckets, but he, he does, and he was an effective college player, and he's been an effective NBA player so far in his career. Is he work? I just don't know about that four-year commitment more than anything else. But sometimes that's what you got to do to uh, to get your players. And maybe we're going to just go on this little this little wheel here in the East to try to be competitive. Um, because right now the East is pretty down, and this Heat team could be anywhere from as high as a three seed behind the Cavs and Celtics, and it could also be down closer to the eight and eight and seven. So. I'm excited for the season, Elkin. Um, I love basketball watching no matter what. But uh, I, <laughs> I might have liked uh, that money to go a little – a few places other than Kelly Olenek if I had my my absolute choice. All right, all right. Ethan, so I'm here. I'm a Pacers fan. We were over here. We traded Paul George for scraps. We waved Monte Ellis. We signed Darren Collison. Sorry, Bogdanovich. Should I just prepare myself for three straight seasons of winning 41 games and getting mediocre lottery picks? What should I expect as a Pacers fan? Um, you shouldn't expect 41 wins for one thing. But uh, that aside, you should just prepare yourself to um, have a bunch of red in, in your uh, – in your arena because you're going to have a bunch of IU fans showing up to watch uh, Victor Oladipo. That aside, you got a lovely center in Miles Turner, but okay. It's just, if from my perspective, y'all have had a bunch of, a bunch of, bunch of not good players. Like these are guys who are, are like the conglomerate of second tier players on bad teams. Like they're just not a whole lot to be excited about. Like you watched a, a Bogdanovich be, be effective at times for the Wizards, but 
late in that Celtics series, he wasn't able to get his shot off, and he definitely couldn't defend anybody. And if he's your best, one of your best offensive players, that's going to be a problem. So I don't know if you feel different. I, when you said 41 wins, I was like, I, you might get that one of these next few years, but I don't know about all of them, Elk, and that's, that might be a little bold to say your guys are going to be 500. Here's the only reason I said 500. East has definitely been weakened, so I think it's not going to take that much to get there. Obviously, I don't think we're going to be that good. If I were to pick out of 15 teams where the pitches are going to be, I see us more falling around 10th, around there, if I'm being honest with myself. They're not going to be the worst of the worst at 10th. The problem is we have this management who's like, hey, we refuse to tank. There's no point of us tanking in any way. We want to be competitive every year. Yeah, how's that worked out for us? We want to be competitive, yet why don't we just, hey, one year, like, we lost Paul George. Why don't we just sign guys? Let's develop young guys, develop our younger guys, and let's just take one hit. Let's just take one season where we're going to really get hit. It would have been nice if this whole Paul George thing would have happened before last season. Because as we know, this draft was loaded. The next draft, not as much. But now we're sitting here, and I've heard from management, they're like, we don't want to, we all, we want to fight for the playoffs. The highest ceiling that this team could have is an eight seed or being in ninth place in the East. That's the highest ceiling. That's a very optimistic ceiling. Knowing how bad the East is going to be, Ethan, if they do get to 40, if they probably get to like 37, they'll be in the race for the eighth place, knowing how bad the East is about to be. But, I'm optimistic that they're probably going to try hard. I mean, people are going to enjoy Victor Oladipo. Their defense hopefully isn't as atrocious as it was last year. I mean, they've Victor Oladipo is decent on defense. So is Corey Joseph, Magnanovich. Uh, definitely not not good on defense. But what can you do at this point? The Pacers had a choice, and they want to stick with the let's be competitive. But we know we're not going to do good, and they're going to try to see if they can rebuild the mall they did in the early 2010s where they built through the draft and they also signed free agents because one thing is about the pacers we have drafted some guys who haven't worked out well but miles turner and paul george were guys who were i believe 10th pick or lower in the draft so maybe management knows something that i do i don't know that's why i don't work in the nba <laughs> well that's probably not the only reason we we, we got to get our we got to get our uh, our status up a little bit and then we'll be attractive of pieces to add to a front office somewhere. But that's our that's a look at um our two teams. We uh we're a little self-centered here on the podcast I like to talk about our teams quite a bit. But to to balance that out a little bit, we are going to go to the mailbag. The recently the recently added section to our Facebook group, the Hero Ball podcast. And let's start with the first question we had via Berkeley Comet. He was asking about uh, threats in the East to the Cavs. Now, I'll go ahead and start. I'm going to pick one, and then you can bring. We can talk about that, and then we'll we'll come back with another one. I think we got to start with the Celtics, though. They have Isaiah Thomas coming off his best season of his career, finishing off with that injury in the playoffs. So that's a little disappointing. You drop a defensive stud like Bradley, who really helped you against a, a player like Kyrie, but you made the addition of a Gordon uh, Gordon Hayward, big time move. He's a good isolation scorer, and he plays good in a ball movement five out system that Brad Stevens has ran in his time in Boston. So with all those factors, those losses, 
and the additions of Jason Tatum and hopefully the emergence of their uh, last year's first-round pick, Jalen Brown. Berkeley, I'm going to ask uh, – I just called you Berkeley, Elkin. Elkin, I'm going to ask you, what's your thoughts on the Celtics? Uh, as far as Celtics, they got a little bit better. Like I said, it, like you said, it does suck to lose Avery Bradley, but I'm still kind of on the fence as far as how will they be able to really – make it competitive in the East for the Cavs because when you do add a player like that, it's great. Like Hayward, at the same time, what else have they done? They're pretty much running back the same type of bench, give or take, they might lose another player. I mean, you have, you have a rookie in Tatum who knows what he'll bring once the regular season starts. But if the Cavs are running on all cylinders and you get Kevin Love, Kyrie and LeBron at their best, I don't really see, them challenging them that much. They might win more than one game. They might win two games, maybe even do three. But honestly, I hate to say this, but right now the East is looking too weak. As long as the Cavs don't get injury, especially any type of injury, I think they'll be fine. So then it makes me think about one team that I think, I mean, for me, there's only two other teams besides the Celtics. And that's either the Wizards or the Raptors. And for you, Ethan, if you had to pick one team as far as out of those two Wizards or Raptors that can improve on what they did last year or stay at competitive, who do you see a better a better outcome this season for? I'd have to go with the Wizards because I have that much more faith in John Wall and Bradley Beal as real, true star players instead of Kyle Lowry and DeRozan. I look at Kyle Lowry as a guy who just some for some reason he he doesn't doesn't do it in the postseason, and it's unfortunate because I think he's a fantastic player and he always has that Lowry plus bench unit that always thrives in the regular season. For some reason, I don't know if he just got like a little little hiccup in his his psyche, but it just he he doesn't bring it in the postseason. I saw it with the Heat when they were very undermanned two seasons ago and you know, the took the Raptors seven games to disband them with Dwayne Wade shooting ridiculous threes to keep us in games. That's something that's that's not working. Um, the Wizards, I don't know how they uh, they still challenge the Cavs, but they have the best chance out of those teams. You got Otto Porter as well as a very good contributing player. He will you can throw him at LeBron and hopefully slow down slow him down for maybe a quarter. A game, and then I guess you you have a uh, Mahimi if he were to uh, be healthy and maybe <laughs> play better defense and play a little smarter on the on the court. That might be a a way to get LeBron off his game a little bit. But comes down to it, they have absolutely no one. Either team now, especially after Tucker has left uh, the Raptors, they have no one defensively that's going to be able to hang with LeBron, and. That's pretty. That's that's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you agree? Definitely, and it kind of seems like Ethan. To answer Berkeley's question, pretty much we're getting out. Or what we're trying to say is that East rests to the Cavs. Yeah, let's calm down a little bit. I think we're both going to kind of chuckle trying to find. I mean, I'm. I feel like I'm digging. You're digging. We're just looking for any reason to give these other teams hope. That's what it feels like we're trying to do, but we can't. We have to admit it. 
as much as this sucks, the pendulum has swung so far to the West that it might take some time. And for those of you who may have forgotten, the East was a dominant conference for a little bit. During the 90s, obviously Chicago Bulls were literally just running amok over there, six championships in eight years. But then you also had the New York Knicks, the Miami Heat. You had even the Orlando Magic who were up and coming. The Pacers, they were a difficult team to face as well. You had all these teams. And that's just what happened. You constantly go back and forth. You can go back to the 80s. There was a time in which the East was dominant as well. And then you can go back 60s and 70s, and it was West for a few times. But right now, I believe we've been on a Western renaissance. It's probably like 2001. Someone looked up, someone did these stats from 2001 until now 2017, the last 16 years. Um, the, the West, as far as all NBA teams, if you look at it, the West tends to have more players on the all NBA teams almost every year for like the last 16 years. And in one year, I think it was like 2000 and man, it was like 2012. The West had, I believe it was like 12 or 13. It was 12 players on the all NBA and only three Eastern conference players. And they said it's going to get worse. And someone said, you can literally make two all-star teams for the West and barely try to make one all-star team from the East. So as far as this question, I'm going to move on from it because we're just going to start grabbing that stuff that doesn't make sense because we're going to try to look for any reason to, to say this team has a chance. But as far as it looks like, it looks like LeBron is going to go to like his eighth finals unless some type of intervention happens. And that's what I got for that one, Ethan. I don't know if you have anything for Berkeley to throw out there to help him look for a threat, but it's not looking like we're finding any. The, the only thing I can think of is if the Celtics were somehow to get an actual center that would not allow the Cavs to absolutely bully them. Because that's the weird thing about the Cavs is they can actually beat you multiple ways. You know, the Warriors are so good in what they do that they play their way, and because they're so good at it, you can't really knock them off it. With the Cavs, though, with between Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, they can play old-school bully ball and just beat you up on the boards while also being able to shoot the three because Kevin Love's such a good shooter. It's like maybe, like I said, this might be the only straw to grab onto is maybe if the Celtics could find a way to get a really good center that is a good rebounder, um, maybe that's that's a one way that Celtics can maybe find it themselves to a game seven <laughs> and still lose. Game seven and still lose. Oh, man. That'll be, I mean, if anything, if Danny Ainge – once his throwaway picks, I bet you he can put a package with Jay Crowder because they have plenty of small forwards already. Throw in, throw in a Nets pick maybe, throw in another pick, and I bet you he can convince the Grizz. If he can convince the Grizz to give him Marc Gasol, I might consider – I definitely might consider them challenging the Cavs. If they can get Marc Gasol, like that's a real solid center I would want on my team. That player right there is the one maybe because then you can play – you can play the big ball with Horford and Gasol because Horford has said he wants to play power forward. They both can shoot credibly. That might be a team that could be scary. I'm not willing to say that they're still better than LeBron because LeBron is that is that good. But that that's your like, huh? Kyrie tweaks his ankle in game four. Little little weak in the next couple games. Uh, you never know. You know, there's no Kelly O'Link to break Kevin Love's shoulder now. He's in Miami, so – Celtics don't have that going for them anymore. So, I don't know. Like I said, we're, we're grasping for straws here. And that's all I got for that. All right. 
So the next question that we have here is from Isaac. Um, he's pretty much asking, is Jokic the European GOAT, greatest European player of all time? Um, honestly, um, I'll start off kind of just talking about Jokic, what he's brought. We all know the what he's been doing for about a half a season and a half, I would say, after he got that more playing time, what he's brought to the table, passing, rebounding. Honestly, he is one of the better NBA players, not just European players I've ever seen, to tell the truth, as far as a big man with those type of skills. But there's a few names I'm going to bring up, Ethan, and you can kind of just can just pick out what you want to talk about. You're going to go back and forth. There is about seven European guys that come to mind. Obviously, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Arvidas Sabonis. Drazen Petrovic, the Greek Freak, and Powell, and Mark Gasol. So the first guy I would submit, Ethan, to be the European GOAT would be Dirk Nowitzki. Why could you tell us? So what can you tell us about him qualifying as being the European GOAT? Well, I think he is currently the European GOAT, that being Dirk. Um, the, the question was worded more like, when will he officially be the GOAT, that Jokic will overtake everyone else? But the reason Dirk is the GOAT is because in this era of multiple star teams, you're going back to the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, there's two. Uh, Duncan and Robinson Spurs, like there's two. And then Duncan and Parker, Duncan and Ginobili Parker, you know, LeBron, Dwayne, and Bosh, all these teams of great star power. The Mavericks of 2011 that beat my Heat had one star. One star is all they had. They had a stellar defensive center. Like he's playing the best basketball of his career, Tyson Chandler. Jason Terry was giving you work um, from the shooting guard, point guard position. Kid was orchestrating the offense. It was a really odd team for the time period it was playing in. But Dirk was so good, it didn't matter. He carried that team, played the best basketball of his career, and it was – Better like that's the last time I've seen LeBron play that he wasn't the best player on the floor for a time period, and when when you can say that about LeBron James, you got to be considered the goat for now, for now. Especially when we're narrowing it down to the European field, uh, Dirk Nowitzki is the uh, the greatest European player of all time, as of now. And and definitely, especially what he did with that Dallas team. I actually I went back and watched those games, the highlights of those games to see how he was, how he did. And honestly, I mean, he definitely had he had the team that he needed around him. The team that he had was structured to help him flourish, if you want to say, in in that scenario. But if you look at his game, as far as what he did, he knew where he wanted to go. He got to his spots. I think we almost had a Dirk who wasn't as athletic as he used to be, but it's a Dirk who figured out the game even better. He knew the spacing. He knew doesn't matter Chris Bosh is on him. There's uh, one game, I believe it was game two, where Chris Bosh was guarding him, and then Dirk got the ball at the top of the key, just took him straight, made a left-handed layup to give the Mavericks the lead, and that's pretty much murder she wrote right there. And you're right, though, and also Dirk, the points that he that he has had in his career, I mean, we're talking about one of the all-time greatest scores, period. I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, he's he scored already over 30,000 points. There's not that many players in the NBA can say they scored over 30,000 points. 
So we have Dirk at the top, let's just say currently, and we're trying to see who this joker should have passed by. We can look at Tony Parker. Tony Parker's won three NBA championships, one finals MVP, and kind of debatable in 2007. Let's be real. Tony Parker was Tony Parker was not the best player. I still would have gone for Tim Duncan in 2007. Absolutely. And you have his international play uh, leaves to be desired a little bit, but for what he was for the Spurs, he constantly pushed the ball. If you watch those Spurs, again, probably from 2002 all the way to 2012 for that 10-year span, Tony Parker grabbed the rebound and go. That's where I see Tony Parker coming in. And for me, though, there are two players. And, Ethan, I'll let you get back and kind of touch base on Tony Parker. Uh, there are two players that are often forgotten in European uh, when we're talking about European players, Arvidas Sabonis and Petrovic, Dresden Petrovic. Arvidas Sabonis was Jokic before Jokic. He could pass, he could shoot, he could rebound. If you ever, if anyone ever gets a chance to look up Arvidas Sabonis European highlights, that's how Jokic plays. If you ever get a chance, look him up. Then you have Petrovic, who unfortunately passed away in a car accident in the middle of his prime. In his final season in the NBA, before he passed away, he averaged 22.3 points per game. He shot 55%, sorry, he shot 51% from the field, and he shot 45% from the three-point line. And he was an 87% free throw shooter. So when we mean score, he can fill it up, and he filled it up efficiently. That's, that's where we're kind of bringing the old school, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing Jokic. Jokic had a chance to pass these guys because of the impact he could have in the NBA. That's where I see it. Now, Ethan, did you want to cover base on those three guys that brought up, or do you want to move on and bring up some of the other European players we've talked about? Yeah, I want to go over those three really quickly with Parker, Sabonis, and uh, Petrovic. But I, I can't really comment on Petrovic very much. He's before my time of spectatorship. Um, you know, so I and I haven't watched the film on him to really be able to comment. Watching Sabonis, though, his passing ability is is really incredible. It was, and um, he, he kind of transformed the way a big man can play. That they didn't have to just turn and dunk or turn and do a post move. Like that was a, a something he fashioned pretty well. And honestly, like you, I think you compare him to a little bit how Bill Walton played like that, moving the moving the uh, ball around, not not just looking to score as a big man. Usually that was a role pretty reserved for point guards. Um, and Tony Parker, like I'm not the biggest Tony Parker fan. I kind of get on people for overhyping him like I don't like say he's bad because he's not he's a really good player but when you play for the Spurs and you play with Tim Duncan who was just a perfect perfect teammate to play with you know someone else is going to get off sometimes and it was Tony a combination of Tony Parker and Ginobili and now and Kawhi Leonard coming into his own at when uh Duncan's career was on the wane so those are my comments for those three. Parker, he, he could really get to the basket, though, and his floater game was devastating. And I'd say he changed the game a little bit for some of the smaller guys as um, as the league got, got got a little softer. You know, when the big guys when, – when you didn't have to avoid the contact and you could kind of throw the ball up and then go into the guy and get all these fouls called. You know, Iverson could do a lot of those stuff that stuff, but he was still getting bullied a lot when he um, was coming up. And just one more thing about Dirk, I just thought about this. He changed the game for basketball. He made the stretch four a thing. He made a stretch five a thing because of his such unique ability to play the game. So 
those are my last comments on those guys. Are we ready to go to the two the two groups of modern players or um, other modern players that um you know one of them has a very unique timeline with the uh, with uh, Nikolai Jokic. Go ahead, go ahead. You bring it up. You bring it up. I'm <laughs> you you keep going. Uh, all righty. Um, you know, I read this question and I was like, oh yeah, he's got good. Uh, Jokic's got a good chance of being that. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is from Greece. Those guys are on the same timeline of like "quote unquote" greatness. Like Jokic is going to be getting his big checks here in a year. Giannis's big extension starts this year. This year, um, I <laughs> I don't feel comfortable saying Jokic has got this locked in, even if he does what he's doing now and continues it because Giannis Antetokounmpo. He has all the ability in the world to be what he is right now and get even better. Just because of some of Jokic's uh, physical limitations, his percentages can go up, his assist rate can go up, and his uh, usage rate, or maybe that's not the right one, but because he be on, he'll have the ball more often as he ages. But I don't know how much better he's going to get in terms of, like, how much more can he tap between – other than getting better at shooting and just having the ball in his hands more. Whereas <laughs> Giannis is already seven feet tall. He's ta He's actually taller than Jokic. He is a lot more athletic. And if he gets a shot, I don't know how you defend that guy. So Jokic, yeah, European, that's going to be the best, one of the best players in the league. You know, we don't even have to put the little Euro stereotype on him, like that he's the best European player. No. He's going to be a great player, but you can't overlook Giannis here because he is he's absolutely fantastic. And then you have to think about this. Now, if you're starting a team, you have two of these young guys, Jokic and Giannis, who would you rather start with right now? Um, if, if you were to really just push me, kind of just give me like, who would I rather start with? And of course, and we didn't even bring up uh, Porzingis who's a young up-and-comer for the European players. But if I had to choose right now Giannis, because Giannis can give me – he can give me passing. He can give me defense. I would say right now Jokic's defense isn't that bad, but what Giannis brings, I would probably say he could truly play five positions. If you really thought about it, Ethan, could Giannis play five positions? I think he could. He's one of those few guys who could – he could start point guard and go all the way slotted to center, and that's where I see it now. The other two guys, though, after let's let's not say too long, Giannis, is uh, some a lot of you're familiar with them, the brothers from Spain, Powell and Marc Gasol. And you could argue that Powell, as far as uh, NBA impact, probably has the most impact from a Spanish player in the NBA, had made over 20,000 points, has played since 2001, I believe, and he's played all the way until now. And then Mark started off kind of rough around 2009. But then eventually he's slowly been moving up in the ranks. But those guys cannot be overlooked. It's, even though Powell, you know, is a little flopper, uh, I kind of didn't like him that much before. But these are just kind of just these European players that we think that Jokic still has to pass. For me, I feel like a lot of these guys are ahead of him. One reason could be because of longevity, because of their playing careers. Another reason could be of their impact. Another reason could be just right now what they bring to the NBA game. Yep, 
the Gasol brothers are fantastic. Um, you can see both of them transitioning their game to be able to shoot threes. Um, they're ultra skilled. They're very physical players, even though Powell used to get uh, called soft a lot for some reason. Um, I don't really know what else to say. Like these guys have so been been a, been a part of the NBA for so long. Like it, it it's, it's amazing that Powell's still playing, and like you know, Mark is just he just looks like a big old teddy bear and just happens to play for the Grizzlies. It's these guys have such high skill level and such a high basketball IQ that you rarely caught either of these guys out of position or making mental mistakes. It's usually it usually just comes to being out at um, having the lack lack of a certain athleticism that you you can match up with them because they seem to have everything else that you would ever want in a player. But even with that being said, and even with Powell's accomplishments as a cha- uh, NBA champion. Like when we're putting them up on this uh, pedestal, of best European players. Like I don't think even Powell gets up to Dirk's level. Like, do, would you agree with that? Honestly, I don't think right now for me, I feel like Dirk is on another level compared to these other guys. Like I would put Powell on Tony Parker's level. Like Tony Parker and Powell, and and for me, Powell even has more. If you think about it, more of an international impact. Like Olympics, his teams tend to do better. I know Spain tends to have a more loaded team. But right now, I think you're kind of right that you have to look at Dirk at the top and maybe you have like kind of you have that second tier. And a lot of this we're saying is because of NBA impact and career. That's one of the one things I want to point out, not just European career. But for me, Dirk has had the biggest NBA impact out of all these European players. And the NBA is the best league. So and that that's where I get all my information from. I. Unless some team starts paying me to give them analysis, um, I'm probably going to be sticking to the NBA and the NBA D, uh, G, now G League and then some summer league ball. Um, that, that's where I'm going to get my basketball information along with the college ranks because otherwise I'll be stringing myself out a lot and all my analysis will get get a little worse. But if that wraps it up for the European player talk, you ready for the last step there, Elkin? Yeah, last thing, uh, cover it really quick as far as mailback questions. I don't really like to cover it too much. Uh, LeVar Ball, Ethan, I'm just going to try to just kind of go over this, gloss over it, don't take too much time. If you can give me one or two sentences to describe LeVar Ball, what would you say? He's a great father with ambition that runs out of control. And I think I kind of come in and say – High dreams, high goals, loud mouth. <laughs> and that's where those are my thoughts on the raw ball. And like you like you brought up, he's a great father. He only has his son's career, best possible outcome. And that's all I have to say about the raw ball. I don't know if there's anything, anything negative, anything positive for you. It's like leave where it is. He's the ball. Everything <laughs> speaks for itself. Yeah. Like the, the only thing I'll say is, you know, he, the more spotlight you get, the more chances you give yourself to say something stupid. And he's, he said some stupid things, like not just like saying he'd beat Jordan or anything like that. None, that, none of that matters. He's He's been rude to people and he's, you know, had things like that. But that's what those people were looking for when they had him on their TV shows and radio shows. Like maybe not directly, but that's what they were asking for. And I don't, I don't get on to him for any of those things. 
But like the what he has done for his kid is like we're we're looking at Lonzo Ball's shoes during the summer league and worried about what he's wearing. Like all I can think of is if he would have got X amount of dollars now or when he when he first entered the draft, if someone's gonna get him to not wear the big baller brand shoes or not just wear whatever shoes he wants, it's gonna be X amount of dollars plus more because he's only enhancing like his own personal brand value simply by like playing hard to get. And I think that is a lot attributable to his, his daddy, LeVar. And I mean, I think you brought that up. Everyone in summer league has been paying attention. Hey, oh no, uh, Lonzo's wearing the Kobe's or right now he's wearing the Harden's. And that's one of the biggest things who knew we would care so much about summer league and not even care about his play, but what shoes is he wearing? And that's where you're right. LeVar ball has done something. So, Ethan, that brings us to one of our last topics, Summer League. I know you haven't gotten a chance to watch Summer League, but I've been able to watch some. And we can kind of go over some guys as far as what you saw in college and what I'm seeing in Summer League. The first guy I want to bring up is Markel Fultz. We didn't get to see much of him because of his injury, uh, ankle sprain. But from what I saw, um, a lot of people were thinking he doesn't care as much. He's, he doesn't seem to have that intensity, a la Tracy McGrady. But from what I saw, he played hard on defense. And you're not looking for him to play good defense, but his offensive game, I think it's it's years ahead. That's one of the things that that you rarely see. He probably has about five moves that he can score on. I mean, he has the hesitation pull-up. He has a ridiculous spin move that he does that spin move, and somehow he ends up in the lane every single time. And those type of moves normally takes a player about four years to finally get his set of moves down. But that's what I've been seeing from him in limited playing time in summer league. Yeah, and I'll echo all those things. The, the two or three games I saw him play in college, he's had such a command of the ball offensively, had good handles, had good ex- acceleration, good slowdown, like all those little things that you want out of an offensive player. He was able to uh, put them all together in a nice package. I, I think I've said before, I didn't, I didn't say he was ever elite at any one specific skill. But he's got everything – everything It continues to look better and better and better. So I just continually will think that he's going to um, make strides in those areas. Like if he's got a – if he's got like a, a, mid, a mid-level uh, acceleration, deceleration game, by the end of this year it's going to be all-star level. And in two years it's going to be, you know, all NBA. Like he's just going to keep getting better at these things because he's got all the – tools to do it where some guys come in like oh well he really needs to work on his jump shot no no he's got a good jump shot he just can get better you know it's not like he's got the hitch like Lonzo or the just ugly shot like Josh Jackson like he's got everything and you can see where they can be molded on and improved on where some of these some of these young young bucks come in they got to develop a whole thing not just build off what they've had and that's definitely you you definitely bring up that good point you got to keep building. You got to keep polishing it up. And the next guy, then I think about is Lonzo. I mean, and you bring up that shot. Here's the thing: first game, Lonzo's game looked ugly. I watched his first game; his game looked ugly. Second game, he got a triple double. His third game, he had about 36 points, and then his fourth game, he got another triple double. Now, here's what I've seen: for what the Lakers were wanting, Lonzo is their guy. It's I haven't seen a guy like him, and you guys can go look up the highlights. His outlet pass are amazing. I mean, I've seen him do one-handed outlet pass, two-handed, 
He hits guys in stride. I mean, that's what the Lakers were looking for, a guy who's just going to speed up the pace. He can find his teammates. He can get into a lane. He knows what he's doing. Like, that's one thing the Lakers got. And when you have a guy, a point, a point guard who's 6'5", 6'6", he grabs the rebound and kind of just go like, that's what I'm going to do. I kind of think of him as the anti-Westbrook because both him and Westbrook are going to go in there and grab rebounds. But Ethan, as you've seen before, Westbrook most likely wants to take that coast-to-coast and shoot a shot over probably three or four guys or just jack up like a three-pointer. But Lonzo, you would tend to see him pass it more. But here's where it gets ugly with Lonzo. His shot is a little bit worrisome. I believe in last night's game, at one point, I was looking at his stats, and he was like he was like 8 of 20. And the problem is he gets in these moods where he wants to take a step back three. He wants to just shoot it thinking he's in high school again, but you can't do that that much in the NBA unless pretty much unless you're Steph Curry. That's like the only guy can get away with it. But from what I've seen, though, his core vision is as good as advertised. I was excited about this fit. Um, you know, parent, like, I don't know how much Magic Johnson does in the way of talking to the players and really being a mentor, but if there's you, you couldn't find a better person for Alonzo to take some tutelage from, than the Magic Johnson himself, and you know, like I got talked with Markel. Markel had the uh, the base of everything. He had such a good all around game. You know, the best all around prospect as everyone was dubbing him before the draft. You know, Lonzo, he got the goofy shot. People question some of his defensive uh, traits, but he's got the vision that you can't improve on a whole lot. Like it's one of those things you're kind of gifted with. You can see it all unfolding. It's really hard to improve that, regardless of how much you work at it. And if he's got that already, and it, it's apparent in his passes, I don't see anything slowing him down as a specific point guard. And like you said, Anthony Westbrook, yeah, he's going to be a like quote unquote pure point guard. He's going to be a guy who wants to set up his teammates, doesn't care if he ever shoots, but hopefully that shot is um will be money, and he'll be a great great player for it. Just be able to knock down open jump shots because. The, when the ball starts, when he starts passing and everyone else starts passing, everyone's going to get better shots. And if I'm a Lakers, if I was a Lakers fan, I'd be really excited to have him on my team. And, you know, passing is contagious. That's what you want. You want people who can keep the ball moving. And from what I've seen, everyone's starting to get involved in that passing. Now, the next guy, Jason Tatum, he has polished offensive game. Defense, horrible. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, you and I were discussing before kind of the, his shot selection. There were some shots. I saw him back a guy up, turn around one foot, kind of Dirk Nowitzki fade away. In summer league, you're going to get away with that because you're playing with bums in summer league. If we're being honest, you're playing against bums. But if you have like a long defender trying to do that, let me jack a shot up whenever I want to. It's probably going to get blocked. Or you're going to get smothered almost every single time. And that's where I kind of see him like, okay, he's probably going to learn. But he is a smooth scorer. That's one thing I'll give him. He's a really smooth scorer. He's he's got all the characteristics that you need to have for that smooth scorer, as you just said. I kind of thought he looks like a little Paul Pierce incarnate, and a little bit less uh, like big. He's not you know girthy, but he's a he's a really good you know one two step kind of guy. He's going to get you off balance, and then he's going to pull up. You know the, the the question I had about that when they when the Celtics drafted him was well like that doesn't like that kind of 
we've heard about a bunch of things with Carmelo maybe going to Houston. How well does that work? Like Carmelo's always been a bit of an ISO player. And I worry about that with Tatum and with the Celtics. Now, granted, he's a rookie, so he'll probably comply a little bit easier and make a super smooth, maybe an easier mesh. But it's hard to take a guy out of his ISO element and put him into like a five out, just moving the ball and getting it around, especially if you're playing with a five ball out with Isaiah Thomas. And he is already a guy who has a little bit of a tendency to dribble the air out of the ball. So I think he's going to be good. He's going to be a good scorer. He's always going to have that ability. I'm just I'm, – I'm really interested to see that fit um, come come November when the regular season gets here and when you got a guy like maybe a Tony Allen guarding you or a Andre Ro- uh, Roberson or a Tabo Cephalosha, you know, some of these guys who have been really good defenders and are really good defenders. Get those guys on this young buck. And let's see if he can still take those tough shots and make them because those shots – Man, they're gorgeous when they go in. But when they miss, you look like, you know what. Hey, man, but he's all going to look pretty shooting there. because I'm telling you, he's smooth compared to the next guy whose game, I struggle to find the beauty in it, but sometimes it works. Mr. Jackson for the Phoenix Suns. From what I've seen, his jump shot is still, it's so glaring. Like, if you watch it, he has just kind of, it's not the Lonzo ball hitch, but it kind of like just – he has has some type of hitch, and you're like, what is he doing with the ball? But I'll give him this. He attacks, attacks, attacks. There have been times in which I've seen him settle for jumpers, and most of the time he's constantly just going into lane. And at, I think at that age when you don't have as much of a developed jumper, you want to just keep attacking because two things happen. Either you're going to make the shot or you're going to get fouled, and you want to get easy buckets somewhere or another. That's what I've seen. His athleticism, just as advertised, and he needs to attack the boy. That jump shot leaves so much to be desired. Yeah, he uh, he's a heck of an athlete. I still liked his fit with the uh, Celtics because of his uh, athleticism and um, all those other features. Of he's, I think, he's a good passer and solid ball handler. But yeah, his shot, it's his shot's gross, dude. And I don't know how to say it any other way. And even if he he's gonna have to shoot, he's, he's gonna have to hack hack that thing away and rebuild it at some point. I think because even if he has a hot month or two, it's something I just think is too hard to replicate. And if he if the Celtics are wise, they'll get him a shooting coach, and they will they will overhaul. Or not the Celtics. If the Suns are wise, they'll get him a shooting coach and absolutely overhaul that thing because you know I'm dealing with this with a guy named Justice Winslow in Miami and. He's such a good player, and his shot doesn't look nearly as wonky as Josh Jackson's, but he, he can't shoot right now. And if he can't shoot, you're a liability to the team. I hate to bring it up, but I texted you at the time. When Justice Winslow went out with the injury, I said, I'm a little worried because we look better offensively right now. And what do you know? The Heat finished the season going 30-11. and 11, So it's hard to make it in this league if you can't shoot and Josh Jackson, your athleticism is fantastic, but let's hope your, your shot comes around buddy. So you don't end up being the, the Tony Allen or the Andre Roberson because defensive specialists are needed, but they're not, they don't get paid the big bucks. <laughs> no, no, you're right on that. You're right on that. You can, you can have your niche still, but we'll see what happens. And the last guy I kind of want to talk about before I just I just tell you my three other guys outside of these top five is, of course, Darren Fox. Um, speed just is advertised. 
athleticism just had advertised that he needs to get under control. From what I saw in the summer league, once he got started with his speed, he was great. But the problem is, as Ethan, as you know, you can't have the same speed in the NBA. You have to learn how to switch speeds. And that's where I see Darren Fox right now struggling because, I mean, he's young, he's fast, and you want to go that fast. But the problem is you go that fast all the time. Defenses see you're out of control. You're gonna, it's going to lead to easy turnovers. You're probably going to get charging calls against you. And that's what I really noticed when I've seen him. But this is where you kind of see, you know what? He's 19 going on 20-year-old guy. Um, he's going to develop. But his speed and athleticism is what's advertised, especially what I've seen in summer league. Yeah, I, I really like him. He's a great athlete. I think he's going to have similar struggles to, that John Wall had. I don't think he's quite as good an athlete as John Wall, but I think he's going to have similar struggles, and he's going to come in, he's going to be trying to go 110 miles an hour, and it's just going to be a little out of control. Which I've had the opinion that I didn't necessarily love the George Hill signing, but the thing I like about George Hill's you know attacking game is he's a little herky-jerky, kind of works his way around people, and maybe – that can rub off just a little bit on our young man, Mr. Fox. That'd be absolutely beautiful, and maybe that's the kind of mentor he could use. And like I said, I wasn't a fan of that signing overall, but with that in mind, I think he'd be a a good guy to learn from how to how to play with some pace. Oh, definitely. But he'll have to. I mean, he'll have to learn somehow. You can't you can't be 100% speed all the time when you're playing in the NBA. Now, Ethan, the last three guys who I really was impressed when I saw them play in Summer League, and I'm, I'm going to name the guys, I'm going to tell you what impressed me about them, maybe some little concerns, were Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz, uh, John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks, and Dennis Smith Jr. of the Dallas Mavericks. Donovan Mitchell, I think the game that really stood out was the game that he played against the Celtics when he was guarding Jason Tatum. And then what we kind of touched base on this. So Donovan Mitchell, he's a uh, – He's more of a two-guard mold. He's not as he's not really small forward, but he has long arms. He bothered Jason. Jason Tatum got his points, but he bothered Jason Tatum all game. We kind of talked about that. When you get those defenders, long defenders in the NBA, can Tatum keep it up? And Tatum struggled so hard against Mitchell. That one thing is like Mitchell was stealing the ball from him. He was making him work hard on both ends, and that's what I really saw that stuck out. And I think Utah really got a good – I want to say a steal, but they got a good pick on that area. The next one is John Collins of the Hawks. Honestly, I have not heard much about him. You probably – you've heard more about him coming out of college, coming out of Wake Forest. From what I saw when he was playing, he's, I think, what the Hawks need right now. He's not going to – he's not going to just hog the ball, try to shoot it, but he picked the spots. He did rim runs. He played defense. He got rebounds. He's athletic enough and fast enough to finish on top of guys, finish over guys. He has soft touch, and that's what you want. And then the last guy, Dennis Smith Jr., he's probably the one that really just said to me was, hey, this guy had the chance to be a really good point guard, even compared to the other guys who were point guard in this draft. Because from what I saw from him, he can get to the lane whenever he wanted. Um, he struggles sometimes to figure out what he wants to do, but anytime he wants you can get in the lane, and he could finish over so many guys. That's the thing. He could finish almost over any guy, and that's what you need in the NBA. And those are the three guys. And Ethan, I don't know if any one of those three guys who are you most looking forward to, who are you like, oh, this guy really has potential. What do you think about that? If you're a gambling man, 
narrow your picks for rookie of the year down to Ben Simmons in his technically rookie season and that young man you just mentioned, Dennis Smith Jr. He is going to be a good, good player for the, the Mavericks. And if Rick Carlisle just doesn't break his spirits, I, I, I really think he's going to be a star for them very soon because he's got all the athleticism in the world. He'll be the, probably the most athletic player the Mavericks have had in several years. And, you know, that's, that's something that, um, that's going to be really exciting to watch. Um, Donovan Mitchell, I, I really kind of sold myself on him going to the Heat before the draft. I was like, yeah, that'd be a nice thing. And then if we could package Tyler Johnson just to avoid his second two years of his contract, we'd have our, our a really good defender to come in for him. And that'd be really nice. And, you know, but I, I, I think he's going to be a really good player for Utah. I worry that he's going to be asked to do too much offensively during the regular season, and that could be problematic. And with John Collins, I'll be honest, I I don't know enough about him. I know he's <laughs> I know I know he's big. I know he's got the uh, the upside factor. That's why he was listed as high as he was in the draft orders in the mock drafts. But eh, I I haven't watched him play summer league, and I watched highlights of him prior to the draft. I I don't know, man. I hope he does well because the Hawks. Hawks need something down there to be entertaining. And one thing, uh, another thing they would definitely want to bring up is this is summer league. You're playing against possibly some of the worst. You can't even call it NBA talent. You're going to play in your whole career. Some guys are going to come in here and look like all-stars. Some of them, you're going to think, wow, this guy's going to be great because look at what he's doing. I mean, there's some guys here. I look back at summer league. We have like a Jeffrey, a Jeffrey Taylor, Andrew Godlock. Some of these guys, even a Marquise Teague, they're averaging like 18, uh, 20 points a game. Reggie Bullock, they're averaging so many points in summer league. These are guys who like, they're not even, I feel like they're not even in the NBA anymore. And like that's some of these guys, you're like, oh, they're doing good in summer league. And we talk these guys up in summer league. Ethan and I are really talking these guys up. But what's the biggest thing? You got to win to play in the NBA. That's where I want to see. I mean, once once you start going against seasoned pros, seasoned veterans, a lot of these, a lot of their weaknesses are really going to come out. That's when you see their struggles. That's where you're going to see the bad parts of their game, the negative aspects of their game. And that's what I look forward to the most, kind of seeing this rookie class. This is possibly one of the best rookie class we've had in a, in a few years. And I'm, I'm interested to see how they fare against the rest of the NBA talent. Yeah, we got so many contributors. We might not have all the stars. You know, sometimes you got the 2003 draft, which had the the big names, and then a whole bunch of not-so-big names. You have the – shoot, uh, the Iverson draft. I blanked on the year. It's just pathetic. That's 1996. Don't worry. That that draft was full of stars and some really good role players. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, but this draft, what I see is there's going to be a couple stars. I think Fultz, Ball are going to be stars. And then you're going to have some really, really good uh, starters like uh, Jason Tatum and Josh Jackson. And I'm really excited about that um, just in the just in the interest of watching basketball and the replenishing of the talent. You know, everyone talks about the talent being all on the one side of the, the, the league, being the Western Conference. And, yeah, you know, we just talked about Smith 
Smith um, and Mitchell, and they're both in the West, which is unfortunate for the East. But you know, the, the more talent that gets in the league, the better, because then it will distribute itself via free agency and other moments. So I'm looking forward to it all, Elkin, and I, I, I honestly cannot wait till November with, and even even October with uh, preseason basketball. I, I'm excited to see NBA players and play NBA players, not NBA players play guys looking for a, a G League contract. And and that's the thing. We really with these drafts, you you really don't know what's going to happen with some of these drafts. Like that's one thing I always always like to bring up. Like we have these drafts, we think this person's going to be good, and really the draft is a crapshoot. I've, I've been going through looking at multiple drafts, kind of seeing like, oh, who's good, who's coming out. But like you really don't know. For instance, for me, one of the drafts that sticks out, 2011 draft. That's the one Kyrie Irving was drafted first. And then Derek Williams drafted second. Do you know that there were three other notable players drafted in that draft that at the time, some of them were high picks, some of them were lower picks, but people kind of were just like, huh. The 2011 draft, and at the time, these people didn't really think that these guys were going to do good. Right now, besides Kyrie, the three guys that stick out in that draft are Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, and Jimmy Butler. And if you go back in that draft, look at like the draft, uh, the televised thing, they did not get that much like, oh, this guy's really going to do good. That's why I'm always like, we can say what we want about these drafts, but you never know. Some guy could end up being amazing. Some guy could end up disappointing, but I'm always excited each year, unless it's a really crappy draft, to see how these guys are going to turn out. Yeah, you, you, can, you can always sell us on enthusiasm. And remember that 11, uh, 2011 draft. Isaiah Thomas was the last pick of that draft. Mm -hmm. That's the guy I always think of. Well, Ethan, it's been nice talking to you. We can go on and on talking about drafts. We can go <laughs> on and on talking about different players, who we like, who we don't like. But the NBA season is coming upon us, and we look forward to probably possibly hitting about talking about these teams, seeing how they fare now, how they're going to look with these free agent signings. But I've enjoyed talking to you about these topics, Ethan. I've enjoyed discussing all these rookies, but at the end of the day, there's always more basketball to cover. And as I like to say in the words of the famous philosopher, uh, Mr. Kobe Jellybean Bryant, these young guys are playing checkers. I'm out there playing chess.